Hey, look, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just thrilled and excited to be starting in this series. Um, it's, it's fantastic. This is, this is going to be a much more long-term project of a sermon series than we've ever been in as a church so far. I loved hearing Malcolm pray thanks to God for the 150th anniversary of that church coming up. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure we've had more than 150 days. So, so we, could, we, could, we could hit that one as well, right? Uh, <laughs> basically the same. Um, yeah, for the first time, we as a church are going to be embarking on walking through uh, one of the four accounts that we get of the life of Jesus in the Bible. This is, this is special. Like All of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is, is the words of God to his people. And, and yet there's something just precious, I suppose about stepping in and, and, and seeing the central moments of history unfolding and the central moments of our lives unfolding 2,000 years ago in the life of Jesus. Uh, Luke in particular, though, I trust is going to be, I, I really hope, a really fruitful time for us as a church, uh, a really fruitful book for us as a people. That's because time and again, Luke leads us to encounter Jesus. He leads us to the authority of Jesus, the, the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the power of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. And overall, the real historical life, death and resurrection of Jesus in such a way that challenges us as a people. It challenges us as the people of Jesus to be changed by who he is. Uh, and so, so many times in this gospel, we discover the Jesus who goes beyond the boundaries of where he might be expected to go, beyond the boundaries of where the people in his day expected him to go as, as, as a man, as the Christ, even as the son of God. Uh, it's beyond the boundaries of where his original readers might have expected him to go. And he even goes beyond the boundaries of where we in the 21st century might expect him to go, and so we've titled this series, as you can tell, the Limitless Gospel, because where we see limitations, Jesus tends to break them. He's a bit destructive like that, the sledgehammer of limits. And so often in this book, we see Jesus destroying boundaries and turning the world just upside down to what we might expect. I'll just say personally, it's, it's been my experience that this is a really powerful gospel, that Luke's words here inspired by the spirit have spoken powerfully into my life I, I can think of specific instances specific times when i've been really struck by the words in this gospel and what they mean and what they mean for our day-to-day -day lives and who they what they mean about god and, and maybe you've had that experience too you know the penny drop moment the the light bulb when when you're in this gospel i'm sure we've had it elsewhere in scripture as well right but and and you realize oh, that's who my god is you grow in your view of him. Or you realize that's who Jesus is. That's how greatly he loves his people. That's how greatly he hates sin. And that's the length, the, the depth of the rottenness of humanity that he's willing to reach into to bring his people out. And, and maybe on the basis of those things, we've realized oh, that's how much he calls us to be transformed. Today, we're, we're going to use these first verses that Malcolm read for us before of the Gospel of Luke as, as a bit of a springboard for jumping into the whole thing. Uh, unlike Matthew, Mark, and John, uh, Luke introduces his Gospel to the original reader. Uh, it's unique. If you look at the starts of the other Gospels, they just dive into it. You know, Luke, John starts with kind of the beginning of history, but he jumps into the story. 
the other two start with, with Jesus. And, and Luke starts with, well, here's why I'm writing this book. Here's what this book is. And here's who it's to. So we find here that Luke is writing to a man whose name is Theophilus. Yeah, he's not someone we really get to specifically know anything else about in all of the Bible. Uh, and that's not to say that people haven't, by the way, spent countless hours trying to figure out things about Theophilus. They do. Uh, theologians love, love time dumps. But, but, but what we can say of him is that uh, he had been taught about Jesus and had believed in Jesus. Uh, we get that from these first verses. Uh, and scholars tend to think, and I think they tend to be right on this, because of his Greek name and because of some of the emphases that we see throughout this gospel, that Theophilus was a, a, a Gentile believer from outside of the, the Jewish people and, and probably a Gentile convert, convert to Christianity. Right? And considering the magnitude of the work, you know, Luke is the, the largest of the, the four gospels, the largest book in the New Testament. Uh, it's, it's probable that although Luke wrote this to Theophilus, he intended it more broadly for, for Christians of all types, all particularly Gentile believers, to be able to read and gain from. But what's, what's really interesting that we get from this intro is, is that uh, Luke tells us these two things. He tells us why he's writing, uh, which, which is really helpful to know when you're reading a book, uh, and he tells us what he's setting out to write. Uh, the why is really simple. He gives us that in verse four. He writes that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. He wants the readers to be certain about the truth of Jesus. And that's not just for the sake of a mental exercise, we should say. Like, like it would be easy to say that and go, all right, so this is so that I can know things in my head. And that's true. It is so that you can know things. But remember what we said before from the book of Ephesians, right? Uh, Paul writes, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. See, the truth is transformative. Uh, he says, and he says just after that, by the way, in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 4, the truth is the truth that is in Jesus. Luke wants us to be sure of the truth about Jesus so that Jesus would be molding every part of our lives. And, and what he does to achieve that is he writes an orderly account. Uh, as Malcolm noted, he's, a, he's an educated guy, this dude. We find out from uh, the book of... No, no, I'm losing my spot here. Where do we find out that he's a physician? Anyone? Paul refers to him as it, the beloved physician at one point. We'll look it up later. That's a, that's a good pastor moment, isn't it? Uh, but but it's, a, it's an orderly account, and it's a narrative of, of actual events that surrounded Jesus. It's taken from eyewitnesses, reliable sources. And Luke says that he's gone to some trouble to establish the accuracy of what he's writing. What are those words? He says he has followed all things closely for some time past. Luke's been described as the great historian of the New Testament by some. And again and again, archaeology actually backs up what Luke says. Uh, even th there's been low, th quite a few instances. If, if you want to find a, a fun activity, hop on the internet at some point and look for times that archaeology has proven Luke right. Uh, uh, there's been loads of these instances where people have gone, well, you say Luke's a good, good historian, but look at this, he got that wrong. And then, then some archaeology, archaeological thing comes up and they're like, oh, uh, okay, I was wrong. Um, give, give you one example, right? Uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, he refers to Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene. Um, that's our archaeology guy here, by the way. He knows more about these things. But um, 
for, for a long time, historians looked at that and went, look, he's got that name wrong. He must have been writing later because he just pulled a name out of the hat. And, and the only Lysanias that we know about, he died in 36 BC. So, so he's, just, he's messed up his timeline here. Uh, but then, lo and behold, an inscription was found by archaeologists uh, referring to a tetrarch Lysanias from exactly the time that we would expect for what Luke is writing about. And everyone had to rewrite their books and publish their apologies, although they didn't tend to really. Um, but what's, what's most significant about the, the what here, the, the what Luke was writing, is that he's writing to give certainty, uh, and, and it's, it's not just a history that he's writing to do that. Although it is all historical, you know, don't get me wrong, but it is an account of what has been accomplished. Notice that word there in verse 1. Luke isn't just here to tell us about something that happened, though he is doing that. He's here to tell us what was achieved through the sending of God's son into the world to live, to die, and to rise. And in fact, it goes even a bit further than that, quite a bit further than that, really, because Luke's also the only gospel we get that has a companion work. Uh, the book of Acts uh, is written by Luke. It's also addressed to Theophilus. People sometimes argue that they're just meant to be one big book. Uh, they're certainly meant to be taken together. And Acts is really the ongoing acts of Jesus after his resurrection and glorification through his people, through the church, as the truth of Jesus goes out. Uh, and so I want to make three statements today uh, about, about this gospel uh, that will kind of help orient us as we orientate, orient us as we move into it. Uh, and really, we're just reflecting very broadly now on what Luke means there what he's talking about when he says the things that have been accomplished among us. And really, there are, there are three levels, I believe, at which this gospel reveals the limitless accomplishments of Jesus. This is where I start needing this thing. Firstly, this is an all of history gospel that he's writing. He doesn't document all of the events of history, but it is hugely, it's the center of all of history. What's being accomplished in the life of Jesus is nothing less than the decisive moment of God's work throughout the ages, which began in, in creation, the creation of the world, and which goes on forever in a new heavens and a new earth. Here is the decisive moment that we learn about in the life of the man, Jesus. The whole of this gospel makes it clear to us that Jesus is the culmination of history, and that history culminates in God's saving work for his people through Jesus. Again and again, Luke emphasizes uh, everything that God has done up to this point was looking forward to its full realization in the person of Jesus. Let me give you three quick examples. Number one, uh, when you get a chance, don't do it now because you get distracted. Trust me, I've, I've tried. Um, read through the first two chapters of Luke at some point. Oh, look, you've all got a copy of Luke in your hands. That's good. Um, and, and, and notice how often Luke connects what's happening in the story and the people in the story with the significant recipients of the promises in the Old Testament. Right? Often with, with these multiple mentions of people like the, the line of David, the great king, the, the promises to Abraham come up more than once in the first two chapters. That's not the last time they're going to appear in this gospel. I'm just giving you a sample here. 
the, the line of Aaron, the high priest that we see that John the Baptist sits in. And, and the point being made is those things are reaching their accomplishment. Their completion is being seen in Jesus. That's number one. Number two, Luke gives us a genealogy in, the, in chapter three. Now, we could have gone a lot of other places in this gospel to establish this, but, but, but this genealogy is remarkable. Unlike the one in Matthew, uh, Luke goes to lengths to carry his genealogy right back to the beginning to show us that God began a work. God has been continuing that work uh, throughout history, and this man, Jesus, is where that work was leading. Feel free to have a read of that sometimes in Luke chapter 3. And and number 3, we've done two from the beginning of Luke. We're going to jump to one at the end of Luke. Uh, In the final chapter of this book, uh, as the the risen Jesus walks the road to Emmaus, you may be familiar with the story, beside two of his disciples who are kept from knowing that it is him at the time, until he he disappears and they're like, it was him. It's a great story. But... um, We read that beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so after he's risen, Jesus sits down with with these two disciples, walks with these two disciples and goes, hey, look at this whole Old Testament. That's about me. If you hadn't noticed, the Old Testament is the documentation of all of the history from the creation to 400 years before Jesus. He says all of history, all of what God's been doing, Israel, the flood, uh, the exile, like all of this is made to point you forward to the fact that I was coming. And the point isn't that this is just a, a clever literary work. Uh, it is. It's, it's a remarkable work of literature, Luke's gospel. The point, though, is that this gospel tells us about the central events of the history of the world about the fruition of God's redemptive plan that spans all of history. It is all about Jesus. And that, that alone would be a really good reason to be interested in this book, right? Like, like if we just stopped there and went, you know, Jesus is the fruition of all of history. That's a great reason to read the Gospel of Luke. But we're going to go on uh, because this limitless gospel is also an all of humanity gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not becoming universalists. Uh, We're not going to say that everyone is going to be saved, but this gospel goes to great lengths to show that there are no limits to the type of person that Jesus can save. There is no boundary for him between people of any type if he sets himself and he decides they are to, to be saved. In fact, there's this focus actually on, if you were to say there's particular people groups that are in focus, outcasts, the, uh, the marginalized and maybe especially terrible sinners. You know? Women. Now, now, that might not seem controversial to us today. In fact, it might even just be controversial that I said it. But women were this marginalized group in the ancient world. They were second class in a lot of ways. And Luke makes a huge point of the fact that women are being called out into the kingdom and saved. They're followers of Jesus. They're with him on the road. Children are shown grace where other people in the day said, no, 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 keep them away. And Jesus says, no, bring them to me. 
Sinners receive Jesus and are changed. People from all nations who the people of God, like the, the Jews identified as the enemies of God, are called out and saved ahead of those Jews in many cases. Take Zacchaeus, right? You remember Zacchaeus? We read about him last week. Thanks for that, Jeff. Uh, the, the pleasant little fat man, right, that you see in your children's books. Do you, do you remember him? Not actually really an accurate depiction of Zacchaeus. Picture more a short Wall Street uh, successful businessman whose money is based on the deaths and the lives and the poverty of those who can't afford to live. There's Zacchaeus. Okay? Zacchaeus is a bad guy. And Jesus comes along and boom, he saves him. Take the, take the prostitute in Luke chapter 7. There was a woman of the city who was a sinner. If you didn't know what that meant beforehand, now you do. Uh, uh, she's condemned by those who seem righteous in the day, but Jesus shows saving love and grace towards her such that she's filled with gratitude and changed. Take, take the death row criminal, right? They nail to a cross for his crimes right next to Jesus. And who receives the grace of the Son of God in such a such a such a clearly gracious way. Like, like what could he do for Jesus? His hands were literally nailed to a piece of wood. And yet Jesus says, Today I'm going to see you in paradise. There are no limits to who Jesus can save. It's an all of humanity gospel. And, and, and to be honest, that presents a significant challenge on its own to us, doesn't it? Uh, it, it there's no easy way to say it. Um, we're, we're a white middle-class church, typically speaking. Um, it's just a thing. Uh, and, and this gospel slaps us in the face with this reality. Jesus crosses every boundary. It's a joyful reality, isn't it? Jesus has power to step outside of of this type of person. Jesus has power in the life of his people to step outside of this type of person. Those who are stealing from others are not outside of the reach of Jesus. Prostitutes, those soliciting prostitutes are not outside of the reach of Jesus. Social outcasts, not outside of the reach of Jesus. Maybe a few of us fit into that category. Uh, those who are resentful, hateful, angry, are not outside of his reach. Seriously, Luke tells us a story about a guy who is demon-possessed and is so violent and angry that they have to chain him up and he breaks the chains and he busts out and he runs out into the wilderness all the time. And that's, that's kind of the recurrent theme of his life until Jesus walks in and he is saved. And he goes, demons, go and get in those pigs. And pigs run on down into the water. You know the story, maybe. Uh, and, and, and Jesus shows up, right? Everything changes for that man. And you might say, well, he was demon-possessed. Come on, the people that I know, they're just, they're just jerks. Uh, let's, let's be real. But A, seriously, like, like saviour of the demon-possessed, but not of the jerks. And B, uh, it's worth just acknowledging that, that we downplay the demonic in our modern culture. Uh, we, we, we tend to think that it's not a thing. or, or we, Even if we think it is a thing, we act like it's not a thing. Uh, when, when we should realize that, that demons are still active today, right? We have no reason to think otherwise. We were very happily will say, nah, he's just crazy. 
Nah, she's just violent. Nah, he's just, uh, just has those episodes, right? Lashes out. God, give us eyes to see. None of these people are out of Jesus' reach, though. And therefore, we as the people of Jesus should seek to build those relationships with, with the prostitute, with the dishonest, with the thief, with all of the people I've mentioned, because Jesus can save them through his people. It's my prayer that Jesus would, would, would battle our unbelief as we go through this series and make us a people who trust more and more in his power to save. And that's pretty well leads us very well, in fact, into the fact that this limitless gospel is an all of you gospel. It's not all of you, it's all of you. Individually. Luke's gospel is actually deeply personal. Luke loves to give us these stories about individuals, about their lives. He gives detail, specific people, how their lives were changed, what their lives were like beforehand. Where Matthew's gospel has has a real broad kingdom focus, Luke deals intentionally with people and individuals. There's a reason for that. Jesus comes to transform individuals. Not just to lead them to make a decision, not just to lead them to, to say a prayer, but he calls us to walk the road with him and to be his disciples. It's painfully clear in this gospel that moralism is not enough. Jesus demands your life, and he deserves your life. And, and, and the things you hold most dearly, he demands, because he must be more dear to you than anything else if you follow him. That's, I realize those are challenging words. I find them that way. When, when the rich young ruler, right, who boldly states to Jesus that he has followed all of the commandments comes to him, what, what, is, what does Jesus do? He goes to the thing that he loves the most, doesn't he? Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And come, follow me. You'll have riches in heaven. What do you value more? Riches here or riches then? Riches here or Jesus? That's probably a better way of putting it. In Luke's gospel, we hear more words from Jesus actually on what it is to be his disciple than in any other gospel. Uh, Twice we're going to receive that call that we read out before, take up your cross and follow me in Luke 9 and Luke 14. Across the course of Luke and Acts combined, we're going to see the pattern that is meant for every Christian as, as disciples become disciple makers. They don't cease to be disciples, by the way. They keep growing as disciples and they go and make disciples. It's, a, it's an amazing process. We're going to see as, as, as fishermen encounter Jesus and become fishers of men, taking the gospel out in the book of Acts. And the simple reason is Jesus, his life, his cross, his empty tomb, he is at the centre of all of history, He reaches across all boundaries to save all kinds of people, and he invites his people to join him in the life that he has, that is walking the road to eternity. So as we embark on this time in the Gospel of Luke and have have no false understandings, we're going to be here for a bit, right? We're not going to do four 
four verses each week, but uh, you know, that's way too much. No, no. no. Uh, but as we embark on this, uh, on this longest book in the New Testament, uh, my prayer is that you and I, we will be uh, gaining great certainty of the identity of our Savior, of the power of the one who we have believed in. That, in, that it will be the Spirit's tool for transformation in your life. And that the limitless gospel of Jesus Christ would burst out of his people in mission. I said at the start that, um, that I could think of specific moments when Luke's gospel has powerfully struck me. Um, there's, there's one that actually was one of the most moving days of my life. Uh, And I wanted to share just one of them just to express how this gospel was spoken to me. It's not necessarily specifically relevant to what we've been talking about. Um, But I just wanted to share this with you. Uh, I have have one thing written. This is is my uh, notes Bible. Um, I have one thing written in the back cover of this Bible and one thing written in the front cover of this Bible. Uh, And uh, in the the back cover, just FYI, uh, gosh, I used an acronym. Uh, in the back cover, we've got a, a note to my grandkids, should I ever have them, uh, in the hope that they become nostalgic like me and one day look at it and, and hear the news about Jesus because they, they wanted to read Grandpa's Bible. Um, yeah, I've always been an old man. Uh, but the back cover has, has uh, the front cover um, is a reflection on a moment in church that I was in once uh, where we were going through the book of Luke when the words of Jesus really struck home for me. Uh, And so I'm going to read it out to you just as an expression of how powerful this gospel can be and how powerfully God can speak into his lives. It's dated 25th of the 9th, 2016. In church today, Matt Maloney, uh, he was my old pastor back in Inaugura, a mentor of mine, preached on Luke 20, 45 to 21, verse 4. He spoke about the poor widow who gave all she had, and it was more pleasing to God that the riches, uh, than the riches of the wealthy. Because none of us can give anything to God which isn't already his. And so it's the giving heart which is the issue. After the sermon, we sang Cornerstone and Bless the Lord. Uh, and the sound of the singing was beautiful. So many beautiful voices. It was lovely. But one sound didn't fit. Uh, I'm going to leave his name out. But um, this guy was singing. I'm I'm ashamed to say that after two years in this church, I'm not even 100% sure of his name. Uh, He sounds like a helium balloon being deflated. Uh, He's mentally disabled and, and usually can't even make proper conversation. Just a few mumbled words. Usually the same ones... Uh, that, that you've just said when you can tell what they are. To, to pause it, it was something along the lines of you would say, hey, how are you? And he goes, that, was, that was his conversation. Never got more than that. Uh, I stood in amazement as he sang every word of Cornerstone like a, a loudly deflating balloon. I could hear them, each one distinct, The man who could not even speak discernibly kept his loudest, clearest words for the worship of God. No one else would hear uh, 
the man would hear them and think them special, but when all else sung out of their vocal abundance, he sung from his poverty with all he has. I imagine the joy in God's heart as the joy that he had when he looked on that poor widow with her coins. His joy at this one man's song. He is the poor widow. He's pleasing to the Lord in an immense way. I was speechless and I cried. This gospel, the words of Jesus, the words about Jesus, they have immense power to, to, to strike us with the truth and to change the way we look at the whole world. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you've not left us in the dark. Lord, we confess freely and openly, knowing your grace, that, that we're sinners. We, we don't deserve you. We have run from you. We were running from you until you saved us, and still yet we're prone to wander. And yet you worked a plan that was greater than our sin. Grace that is greater than our sin. Through all of history, you have worked. Crossing every boundary, you have worked and you, you came, Jesus, into this world and rescued a people undeserving and transform our lives for the better, Lord. As we go through this gospel, Lord, don't let us be the same. Strike our hearts where we are hardened, Lord, soften us. Fill us with the power of the Spirit. Use your Spirit to transform the hearts of your people. Lead us to treasure you, Jesus, above all else, and therefore change all of our lives to make us more like you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace in the cross. Thank you for your victory in the empty tomb. Thank you for your reign over all of creation. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.